0: we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. I want us to go to the book of 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter number 1. We continue our study of the life of David with this theme in mind, David served his generation. Uh, We last left David. He had penned a memorial in recognition of the life of Saul and Jonathan after hearing the news from the Amalekite messenger that Saul had died. His men mourned and wept, and, and then he paid homage to Saul and Jonathan in his memorial uh, that is recorded for us in the closing verses of chapter number one. Now we come to chapter number two and David who was anointed by Samuel to be the king uh, no longer uh, has to contend with Saul. And so the Bible tells us in verse number one and it came to pass after this that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said unto him, Go up. And David said, Whither shall I go up? And he said, Unto Hebron. So David went up thither, and his two wives also, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, Nabal's wife, the Carmelite. And his men that were with him did David bring up, every man with his household, and they dwelt in the cities of Hebron. And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. And they told David, saying, That the men of Jabesh-Gilead were they that buried Saul. And David sent messengers unto the men of Jabesh-Gilead, and said unto them, Blessed be ye of the Lord, that ye have showed this kindness unto your Lord, even unto Saul, and have buried him. And now the Lord show kindness and truth unto you, and I also will requite you this kindness, because ye have done this thing. Therefore now let your hands be strengthened and be ye valiant for your master Saul is dead. And also the house of Judah have anointed me king over them. But Abner the son of Ner, captain of Saul's host, took Ishbosheth the son of Saul and brought him over to Mahanaim and made him king over Gilead and over the Asherites and over Jezreel and over Ephraim and over Benjamin and over all Israel." Ishbosheth Saul's son was forty years old when he began to reign over Israel and reigned two years. But the house of Judah followed David. And the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. We find here that David was anointed king in verse number four, by the men of Judah. But then we find that Ishbosheth was anointed king by Abner and the men of Israel. And so you have two kings reigning simultaneously. We understand that David reigned in Hebron in verse number 11 for 7 years and 6 months and then we understand that Ishbosheth reigned 2 years. What we have here is a kingdom in conflict and That's the title of the message that I have for you this morning, The Kingdom in Conflict. David is the anointed of the Lord. Ishbosheth is not the anointed of the Lord. David has been uh, on the run from Saul for many years, and now he finds himself uh, finally in a position where he no longer has to run. Saul is dead. All would assume that it's time for David to go and be anointed as king over all of Israel. That doesn't happen. He only becomes king over Judah. The men of Israel, however, take Ishbosheth and anoint him as king. And so you have two kings. This is certainly not what any of us would have expected. This is perhaps not what David Expected. A kingdom in conflict, but nevertheless, that's what we have. Saul's kingdom had come to a close, and all that Saul had accomplished, and we'll remember something about Saul. Saul was the people's choice. Remember, the men of Israel said, We want to be like all the other nations, we want a king to reign over us, we want a king to go out and fight our battles for us. Now, before that, Israel was a theocracy governed by God himself. They wanted a monarchy and they wanted to be governed not by God, but by men. And as Samuel protested, he warned them in 1 Samuel chapter 8 of the nature of Saul's reign. And really, Saul's reign becomes symbolic of the reign of any earthly king. Uh, We know that throughout the history of this world, there have been a few good kings, but primarily uh, those who stand out the most to us are the the bad ones. And it seems as if the bad rulers outweigh or outnumber the good. Well, that's certainly been true. And uh, this is the warning. If you look in 1 Samuel chapter number 8 that the prophet gave the people when he protested uh, concerning uh, the kingdom of Saul. In 1 Samuel chapter 8 and verse 11, he said, This will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself, for his chariots, and to be his horsemen, and some shall run before his chariots. And he will appoint him captains over thousands and captains over fifties and will set them to ear his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his instruments of war and instruments of his chariots. And he will take your daughters to be confectionaries and to be cooks and to be bakers. And he will take your fields and your vineyards and your olive yards and the best of them and give them to his servants." And he will take the tenth of your seed and of, the, of your vineyards to give his officers and to his servants. And he will take your men servants and your maid servants and your goodliest young men and your asses and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your sheep and you shall be his servants. In, these, in just this few number of verses, we find that when Saul speaks or when Samuel speaks of the reign of earthly kings, he uses this phrase often, he will take. He will take, he will appoint, he will set them. He will take, he will take. Verse 18, and ye shall cry out in that day because of your king, which ye shall have chosen you. And the Lord will not hear you in that day. You see, really we're confronted with the disappointment that all earthly kings bring to us that all human government brings to us. They take and they take and they take and the people cry. Well, that's exactly what happened under the rule of Saul. And so Saul really becomes symbolic of all human leadership Saul was a disobedient king. He disobeyed in the matter of the sacrifice. He would not wait on Samuel to come, and so impatient Saul offered the sacrifice himself. That was a serious breach in the eyes of God. And Samuel the prophet said in verse 14 of 1 Samuel 13, "Now, uh, but no, rather, but no, uh, or but now thy kingdom shall not continue." The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. So because of his disobedience in the matter of the sacrifice, he was rejected as king. But also in 1 Samuel 15 and verse 28, because of his disobedience in the matter of the Amalekites when he spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen. Samuel said unto him, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. So because of his disobedience, he was rejected as king. Because he rejected the word of the Lord, because he led from the standpoint of a selfish leader who was only there not to necessarily provide care for the people, although in the beginning that was the characteristic of Saul... But as he lived, as he progressed, it became less and less about what God would have him to do and more and more about what he wanted to do. He was concerned less and less about fighting the battles of the Lord and was more concerned about fighting his own battles. That's our experience in dealing with politicians That's our experience in dealing with this world and we live in a world that is in conflict. But in the midst of the darkness, there's a light that shines and that light is the promise of a new king, King Jesus. And he's coming again. And by the way, when he comes, there'll be no election. There'll be no debate. King Jesus will establish his rule. there'll be no poverty, there'll be no hunger, there'll be no injustice, no disease, no death, no war, no unrest. As the songwriter said, all is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day, glorious day that will be. But until that day, let me just say this to you, our king is in a conflict conflict. A conflict between good and evil. A conflict that is raging and you and I are in the very center of that conflict. The psalmist encapsulates this very well for us in Psalm 146. Psalm 146 and verse number 3. The psalmist said, put not your trust in princes, nor in the son of man in whom there is no help. In other words, do not look to human leaders. Do not look for a human leader to deliver you. We're living in a time when there's a great crisis of leadership. Our nation is looking for leaders, but there are none to be found. The psalmist warns us of the danger of looking to man. He says there is no help. Verse 4, his breath goeth forth. He returneth to his earth In that very day, his thoughts perish. All his policies, all his plans die with him. You see, Saul really symbolizes for us that in humanity, there is no real hope. Verse 5, but there's hope in Jesus. The psalmist said in Psalm 146, verse 5, Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help. Whose hope is in the Lord is God, which made heaven and earth and sea and all that therein is, which keepeth truth forever. Listen to this, verse 7 which executeth judgment for the oppressed, which giveth food to the hungry. The Lord looseth the prisoners. The Lord openeth the eyes of the blind. The Lord raiseth them that are bowed down. The Lord loveth the righteous. The Lord preserveth the strangers. He relieveth the fatherless and widow, but the way of the wicked he turneth upside down. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. Even thy God, O Zion, unto all generations, praise ye the Lord. That's the kingdom we're looking for. That's the kingdom that Christ will bring to us. But until then, the kingdom is in conflict. I want us to note three things in this passage. I'll give them to you. We see, first of all, a rising king. A rising king. Now, we look again in our our opening verses of chapter 2. And it came to pass after this that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I, notice these words, go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said unto him, Go up. And David said, Whither shall I go up? And he said unto Hebron, and David went up thither. And his two wives also, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, Nabal's wife, the Carmelite, and his men that were with him. Did David bring up every man with his household? And they dwelt in the cities of Hebron. See, here we get the picture of David, the anointed king, who's been on the run. Now his enemy Saul is gone. There's no one occupying the throne of Israel. And David inquires of the Lord, and the Lord says, go up. David, it is now time for you to ascend to the throne. He's a rising king. Now, we note some things about our rising king here. First of all, David asked counsel from the Lord. He didn't go up on his own accord. He didn't act selfishly with ambition He humbled himself. He was obedient. He had waited patiently upon the Lord. He had sought the Lord and now the Lord is sending David. Notice again, he says in verse one that David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I go up into any cities of Judah? And the Lord said unto him, go up. You see, David did not presume to go up. He waited on God to tell him. And like David... Our king, King Jesus, he humbled himself. You see, it took humility on the part of David to pause and ask God what he should do. But our king, King Jesus, is a model of humility. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You see, Jesus humbled himself. He took upon himself, though he was equal with God, he took upon himself the form of a man. And as a man, he took upon himself the form of a servant, a common slave. This is the role that Jesus was willing to play in order that you and I could be redeemed to him. Not only that, but he came obedient unto death, even the awful, excruciating death of the cross. And because of his humility and because of his obedience, the Bible says in verse 9, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Far above the throne of David ascends King Jesus. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So like David, our king, King Jesus humbled himself. Like David, our king was obedient. The Bible says to us that he became obedient unto death. In John chapter number 8, the Bible said that Jesus said unto them in verse 28, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things That pleased him. Jesus was obedient to the Father. Unlike Saul, unlike the kings of this earth, he humbled himself and he became obedient to the Father. And therefore, he was highly exalted. He's a rising king. David asked of the Lord. But then we see that the Lord answered. Notice again, the Bible says, Uh, David said in verse 1, Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said unto him, Go up. And David said, Whither shall I go up? And he said unto him, Hebron. Now John Woodhouse in his commentary points out the significance of this destination. You see, we might have anticipated that David would go to Jerusalem or that David perhaps would go to Bethlehem, the city of his birth. But no, the Lord sends him to Hebron. And as Woodhouse points out in his commentary, it was at Hebron where the angel, the Lord, the three men came to visit uh, Abraham and Sarah to, to, to declare unto Sarah that she was going to have a child. It was in Hebron that Sarah would later die and be buried. In fact, not only would Sarah be buried there, but so also was Abraham and Isaac and his wife and Jacob and his wife. They would all be buried in Hebron. Indeed, as Woodhouse writes, Hebron was the location of the only portion of the promised land to become the possession of Abraham. Hebron, we might say, is where Israel's life in the land of God's promise began. The power of these associations must not be overlooked. Hebron links David to Abraham. David's move to Hebron connects him with the promises that God had made to Abraham. It is an important indication that what God will do through David is of enormous significance. It is connected to God's promise to Abraham to bring blessings to all the families of the earth. Indeed, David's going up to Hebron anticipates the fact that Jesus will be introduced in the first sentence of the New Testament as the son of David, the son of Abraham. And you find that in Matthew chapter 1 in verse 1. In other words, the significance of Hebron is that David and and Abraham are tied together. You remember the promise that God made in the garden through the seed of the woman. Uh, A child would come, and and that child of promise would would crush the head of the serpent. Uh, Then we find that that promise not only would come through the seed of the woman, but he narrows it down by saying, through the seed of Abraham. By the time we come to the life of David, he narrows it down yet again, saying, through the seed of David, the Messiah will come. You see, God here is sending David to Hebron, not just some arbitrary geographical location, but God is unfolding for us his plan of redemption. That ought to give you great faith in the the truth of Scripture. This book that you possess... It's the word of God. You see, David asked, and the Lord answered. Then we see a third thing here. The men of Judah anointed David. The men of Judah anointed him. Look at verse 2. So David went up thither, and his two wives also, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, Nabal's wife, the Carmelite. And his men that were with him did David bring up every man into his household and they dwelt in the cities of Hebron and the men of Judah came and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. You see, David was the man after God's own heart. He was the man that God had chose. He fought for Israel. He resisted unlike Saul the temptation to promote himself. In fact, when he went up we think it's very important here that we note that he brought up the men with him you remember that group of men that joined themselves to david in the wilderness they were in debt <laughs> they were in distress what a crowd it was uh, these were the, the this was the kind of men that Uh, resorted to David and, and David led them and David cared for them but now it is time for David to ascend the throne but he didn't leave them behind. When he went up, they went up with him. Why is that important? Because when Jesus came up out of the grave, when Jesus ascended victoriously into the presence of his Father, when Jesus went to prepare a place in heaven, it was a place for us. When he went up, he took us with him. Just read Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us. That means he made us alive. He hath quickened us together with Christ. His resurrection assures us of our resurrection. His life imparts life to us and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. You see, those fellows who were distressed and in debt and in despair, uh, they found in David their security and their provision. They, like us, were able to ascend up with David. We're ascending up with the greater David, with Jesus. The writer of Hebrews put it this way, He said, therefore, God, even thy God hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness. Oh, one day we'll realize that gladness in its fullness. But now, being his followers, we experience the gladness of knowing Christ, the gladness of going up with him. And so we see a rising king. Then secondly, we see a reassuring king. There were those in Israel, no doubt, in this time Saul is dead. Perhaps they heard rumors that David was going to be the king. They had been hearing rumors that David was disloyal to Saul, perhaps the enemy of Saul. Maybe he had joined himself to the Philistines. They had heard all these things, and they were wondering what was going to happen. Maybe they didn't know who to believe. So we find in verse number four some very wise counsel that is given by the men of Judah to David. Notice in the very middle of the fourth verse, and they told David, saying, that the men of Jabesh-Gilead were they that buried Saul. Verse five, and David sent messengers unto Saul and the men of Jabesh-Gilead. Here we find... Uh, these men of Jabesh Gilead kind of coming back into the story again. Now, we saw them after Saul's death. We, we, we saw that the Philistines came in and they, they, they abused the body of Saul and his sons. They beheaded their lifeless bodies and they took their... and paraded them through the streets of the land of the Philistines and placed them in the temples of their gods. And they took the bodies of Saul and his sons and they, they, they put them up on a wall for everyone to see. And they were celebrating their victory and praising their gods and it was the men of Jabesh Gilead who heard about that and the Bible says that the valiant men of Jabesh Gilead arose and they went all night and they rescued, they reclaimed the bodies of Saul and his sons and they took them and they buried them. Well, if you'll remember David's report concerning the battle, was given to him from the Amalekites. So he had no knowledge that some of these things had transpired. But now he's hearing what happened, and he's hearing that the men of Jabesh-Gilead were the ones who had buried Saul and his sons. And so immediately he decides to reach out to the men of Jabesh-Gilead. Now the men of Jabesh-Gilead were very loyal to Saul because as the Bible records for us in 1 Samuel chapter number 11, and I would have you read it maybe when you get home, in 1 Samuel chapter 11, we find that at the beginning of the reign of Saul, when Saul was still tender and seeking the Lord, that the Ammonites came and encamped against Jabesh-Gilead. They were going to invade them and take them over. And so the men of Jabesh-Gilead, Jabesh-Gilead was located on the west side of the Jordan. Remember, there were two and a half tribes. It settled on the west of Jordan. And that's where Jabesh-Gilead was situated. The men of Jabesh-Gilead sent messengers out to Nahash, king of the Ammonites, and they said, here's the deal, we'll be your servants, we'll surrender. And Nahash said, well, wait a minute, let me tell you what the deal is. We'll accept your surrender, you'll become our servants, but we're gonna take out the right eye of every man in the city so that we can reproach the nation of Israel. Now let me tell you, that gives you a glimpse into the depravity of the Canaanites who lived in the land. Well, the men of Jabesh Gilead said, give us seven days. And they sent messengers out and Saul heard it. Saul was the newly crowned king. And the Bible said that Saul, uh, the Spirit of God came upon Saul and his anger was kindled greatly and he rallied the men of Israel and they went and fought against the Ammonites and they delivered the men of Jabesh Gilead from Nahash, the king of the Ammonites. Now, wouldn't you be loyal to Saul if you were a resident of of Jabesh Gilead? I mean, he's the guy that kept you... from losing your eye. He's the guy that kept you from being in bondage to those wicked Ammonites. And so here they are, these men of Jabesh Gilead. They're very loyal to Saul, and and there's no reason that they shouldn't have been, apparently. But what had they been hearing about David? Well, they'd been hearing what Saul had been saying. And what Saul had said was that David was disloyal, that David wanted to usurp the kingdom. We know that's not true. We've been studying the life of David. But they didn't know that. They only knew what they'd been told. Now Saul is gone, and they're wondering who they can look to. And David reaches out to them, a very wise move on his part. Now, when David reached out, what did he do? He commended them for their loyalty and kindness to Saul. Notice it again in verse five. He sent messengers unto the men of Jabesh Gilead and said unto them, Blessed be ye of the Lord that ye have showed this kindness unto your Lord, even unto Saul, and have buried him. He commends them. And these messengers are going to deliver that message, and then they're going to give, they're going to help the men of Jabesh Gilead learn two things about David. First of all, they're going to discover his intention. Notice it, if you would, in verse 5. He said, blessed be of the Lord that you've showed this kindness unto your Lord, even unto Saul, and have buried him. Verse 6, and now the Lord show kindness and truth unto you, and I also will requite you. That word requite means I want to repay you. I want to recompense you. I want to reward you this kindness because you have done this thing. Here's what we find. We find they discover his intention. They learn that David wants them to experience the blessings that they had already experienced, but even greater. We learn that they find, or they learn, that they had a place and provisions in the kingdom of David. What a glorious message for them to hear. They're they're sort of maybe feeling like the odd... Uh, members of the family because they're living on the other side of the Jordan. Maybe they feel a little less included, a little less apart. What does David do? He reaches out to them to say, you have a place in this kingdom. Can I tell you that Jesus has reached out to you to tell you that you have a place in his kingdom? Will you accept that place? Not only did they discover his intention, but they received his invitation. Look at verse 7. Therefore, now let your hands be strengthened and be ye valiant for your master Saul is dead and also the house of Judah have anointed me king over them. He's saying, just as you serve Saul, I hope that you will serve me and I want you to be strengthened. I don't want you to be afraid. I don't want you to be worried about the next Ammonite group that's going to swing through. I'm going to protect you. Do You see what David is doing here? He's attempting to reconcile them. Because as I mentioned, all they know of David is he's the enemy of Saul. So they imagine, they imagine that he's their enemy. And so he reaches out to those who were perhaps his perceived enemies, in order to reconcile them to himself. Who does that sound like? Well, it sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? Colossians chapter one and verse 21. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. What has Jesus done for us? Those of us who were alienated from him, those of us who were at war with him because of the sinful uh, tendency of our flesh, the sinfulness of our flesh, what has he done for us? He has sent his messengers of reconciliation, offering to us the terms of peace. And now we're no longer enemies, we're no longer foes, we are a part of the family of God. The hallmark text for this is in 2 Corinthians 5 verses 18 through 21. The Bible said, and all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. God brought the terms of peace to us and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, in other words, stop and think about this, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself not imputing their trespasses unto them and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You see, had he not become sin for us we could not be reconciled to him but because he was made sin and made the payment for our sin, he abolished the handwriting of ordinances against us and he has made us righteous. And now we are reconciled to God. They received his invitation. Have you received it? Not only have you received this invitation of reconciliation to him, but if you have, let me ask you this, have you embraced your responsibility to serve as one of his messengers? Those who have been committed or have had committed unto them the ministry of reconciliation, that's what we read in 2 Corinthians 5. God says, those of you who are reconciled to me have been committed from me this ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation. So we see a rising king. We see a reassuring king who says to the men of Jabesh Gilead, everything's going to be fine. In fact, it's going to be better than it's ever been. In a world that's in conflict with kingdoms in conflict, people are wondering who to turn to. There's only one to turn to. His name is Jesus. So we see this rising king. We see this reassuring king. But then we see a third thing, and that is a rival king. A rival king. Look at it in verse eight. But Abner the son of Ner, captain of Saul's host, took Ishbosheth the son of Saul and brought him over to Mahanaim, and made him king over Gilead, and over the Asherites, and over Jezreel, and over Ephraim, and over Benjamin, and over all Israel. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was forty years old when he began to reign over Israel, and reigned two years. Admiral says, I don't know what to do. I'm loyal to Saul. So I'm going to take his son. We've not read of his name before this. We we know he wasn't on the battlefront with his father and his other brothers that died. We're going to learn that he's sort of a weak man, but he's the son of Saul. He's all that they have left. And because they bought into this idea, this ideology, because they love this institution of the kingdom, because they want to declare their independence against or their independence from rather God, they embrace a rival king. He represents all that humanity has to offer. When Jesus during his earthly life and ministry, gave the parable of the nobleman and his servants. And in that parable, he describes the attitude of many in Jerusalem towards him when he said this. He said, but his citizens hated him, Luke 19, 14. His citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. That's the attitude of this world. We'll take uh, we'll take communism. We'll take Marxism. We'll we'll take China. We'll take Russia. We'll we'll take humanism. uh, We'll take uh, the American political system. Progressivism. You name it. We'll take it. But we don't want Jesus. You see, there's always a rival king. The devil tried to set himself up as that king, did he not? And he's been doing that throughout human history. He continues to do it, and he's behind all other kings who oppose Jesus. I want to ask you a question Who's on the throne of your life? You see, the men of Israel, they followed Ishbosheth. But notice in verse 10, the very last sentence we read in verse 10, but the house of Judah followed David. Who are you following? The house of Judah said, we're sticking with God's king. What king do you follow? What about you? What about your house? Can I ask you who occupies the throne of your life? Have you ever acknowledged that Jesus is the son of God? the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Have you ever confessed that you're a rebel, that you're a sinner? Have you heard his message of reconciliation? Have you responded? If you haven't, you have no place in his kingdom. But if you would like to have a place in his kingdom, an eternal place with eternal blessings, you can receive it today. Jesus was made sin for you so that he could forgive you and cleanse you of all your sin. All you must do To enter his kingdom is confess him as Christ, the Son of God. Confess your sin and call upon him in faith. He will save you. In just a moment, we're going to close in prayer and have a song. And I'm going to invite you, if you do not know the Lord as your Savior, to come and find a place of prayer or meet with someone who can pray with you and show you from the Word of God how that you can be saved. Or at the conclusion of this service, We'll have staff at doors, and I'll be out. We have a baptism today, but afterwards I'll be available. We'll be glad to show you through the Word of God how that you can be reconciled into this King. If you've been reconciled to Him already, I want you to know that you have a responsibility—that's to be His ambassador to carry his message to other people who in this confused world don't know where to look. They need to know who to look to. You can help them. Would you embrace that responsibility? And then even as you say, well, I I need to embrace that, there's a recognition of of a rival king even in your own heart. Because though you may have received Christ as Savior, Saul can slip back on the throne at any time if you allow him. So let me just ask you a simple question, Christian. Who is occupying the throne of your life? Who has the say? Who has the sovereignty? Is it you or is it Jesus? If you're honest with yourself and you say it's not Jesus lately, it's me, then you need to come and confess that and welcome him back on the throne again. And then one final word, if Jesus is your Lord, aren't you glad he's brought you up with him? When's the last time you thanked him? Why don't you do that today? Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle,